0: On a beach in eastern Fiji, shaded by coconut palms, the chief of the local village stands dejectedly beside rotting wooden stumps and a lump of concrete jutting out of the sand. This is my house, Simeon Boto, a stocky man in his early 60s, tells me with a shrug. Living on the front lines of climate change, this is all that remains of his boyhood home by the Pacific Ocean, washed away decades ago. These are the opening lines of Alastair Doyle's book, The Great Melt, accounts from the front line of climate change. The Great Melt is a great book about what is perhaps the greatest challenge ever faced by mankind, climate change. Global warming melts the ice sheets of Antarctica and Greenland and it rises sea levels and it makes the world's coastlines the frontlines of climate change. In his book, Alastair Doyle, takes us on a trip all over the planet from the village of Chief Botu in Fiji. We move to a boy in Florida, and next he takes us to a farmer in Peru who is suing a German power utility, claiming that the greenhouse gases that they emit are melting a glacier in the Andes Mountains on the other side of the planet. And that glacier will create a mud flow that threatens to destroy his home. It raises the question of who bears responsibility for climate change. I think this is a book we should all read because it is about the future that we will experience on an increasingly hot planet. And our guest in our podcast today is the writer Alistair Doyle, whom you will likely remember because for many years, until two years ago, he was the first environment correspondent for Reuters, and he has written extensively about climate change for the past two decades. So, Alistair, welcome to the podcast.
1: Alex, thanks very much. It's an honor to be here. Thank you.
0: It's great to have you here, Alistair. So right now, I am on an island in the southwest of the Netherlands in a delta that is known as the, the province Zeeland. Zealand. So I wonder, is it time for me to sell my house and now move to, to higher and safer grounds?
1: Oh, wow. Uh, that's a difficult one. Um, is your house below sea level? I mean, about a quarter of the Netherlands it's, is below it's, sea level,
0: isn't it? Yeah, mine is uh, a bit where the dunes end and uh, the polders, as we call them, start. So mine is uh, exactly at sea level, but at the end of the street, it's about one or one and a half meters below sea level. I know that because in 1953, when we had the, the big flooding, when the dikes broke and, and we lost like nearly 2000 people, um, that part of the street was uh, twice a day really flooded, whereas in this house, uh, the the water was uh, the the cellar was uh, was underwater, but on the first floor it just stayed dry. Yeah, um,
1: but
0: those are sea I levels, of course, of one thousand, nine hundred and fifty-three, and it has risen already a bit.
1: It, it's gone up it has quite a lot, hasn't it? It's gone up twenty centimeters since uh, one thousand, nine hundred or so around the world. But if I think I think if I wanted to be anywhere that was going to be protected from sea level rise, the Netherlands is probably the best place to be. So I think you can probably hold on to your house for a while. Um, other places, of course, that don't have so much experience with keeping back the seas. I mean, the Netherlands has been doing this for, for generations, hasn't it? Building up the dikes, the sea walls. Um, there is sea water that comes seeps in under some of those walls, isn't there? But generally without Without um, protection against sea levels um, you'd be a lot of the country would be flooded wouldn't it um,
0: yeah it would be, it would be about a quarter of the country, but it's it's the most well economically speaking also uh, for me personally uh, the, the most precious part of the country it's, it's where you find you know amsterdam the Hague Rotterdam it's where you find Schiphol airport it's where you find the industry in in, in, in the harbor of Rotterdam. So we'd be, you know, we'd, we'd be practically lost uh, without all that. So um, we can, yeah. of course, try to raise the dikes, but there must be a limit to it, I guess. You,
1: you can't go on doing that forever, can you? And as you read that excerpt from the book from, thanks for that, from Simeone Botu in Fiji, who, whose village had to move from the front lines there. Um, you know, he's one of the f- people who's one of the very few people I know who've had to move inland twice because of sea level rise you know admittedly the village where he lives is is sort of whipped also by by a river that meanders um and when it rains very heavily that river meanders and eats away the shoreline too so he's he's kind of one of the more more vulnerable just but because of sea level rise there's big storm surges there and there's this river eating away at the coast so he's had to move inland twice Um, His first, his boyhood home is just now a few stumps, as you you notice, coming out of the, sticking out of the beach, he had to rebuild inland, and now the whole village moved inland in 2014, so, you know, these people are on the front lines there, aren't they? I suspect in a lot of developed countries, the Netherlands or... Uh, I don't know, the UK where I grew up. I also grew up um, uh, by the sea, about a kilometer away from it. I could see it from our house, but uh, we were up a hillside. (laughs) I think we'd be, our house is safe. Our old house there is safe for the time being. Um,
0: Yeah. So there's, it it sounds absolutely unfair that uh, to the rich people in the rich Countries are most responsible for producing all that all that CO two and the other greenhouse gases that created this problem. And then, the poor people in the poorest countries, the ones that are absolutely innocent on on this whole climate change thing, they are the ones that that are bearing the worst burden of of what's happening right now.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. It's it's really the poorest of the poor in some cases. Um, People in Bangladesh on the coast are going to have a much rougher time of it than people in Miami. But, I mean, even, even in rich countries, you're going to have yeah. problems because, you know, you can see there are already trends in some countries that show that, um, you know, the more floods you have from high high tides, you know, superstorm Sandy in the U.S. a few years ago, um, really flooded large coastal areas. And, and And the more floods you have, of course, the more you know your insurance premiums go up um and then you know your house then becomes less valuable the next time you try to sell it so you know there's going to be a move away from the coast forced by insurance premiums in some places i think and also you know if you you know i suppose the netherlands is a very special case where you've got you know sea barriers of sort of five meters in some places you've got houses that where you don't have a view of the sea because they're behind the barrier right so you, your house i suspect huh. houses along the coast i don't know how you know your house would be if you built a five meter sea barrier in front of it and in addition to what's already there you know the houses that don't have a view of the sea that used to uh, are going to be harder to live in aren't they too
0: yeah yeah we have a lot of those houses so for instance where my father grew up in Scheveningen, which seems to be impossible to pronounce for anybody who's not <laughs> born here. But that is the, 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 what was in those days an independent seaside village uh, near, near the Hague. He literally looked against a dike uh, that, that protected us against the water. That's a really, really high dike. It's much more than five meters, I would guess. And uh, So yeah, that was his view. Yep. It was a bit like living next to the Berlin Wall in a way. Um, so we already have that. We yeah. we may have to 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 raise those, but yeah, of course there there is gonna gonna be a limit. And um, so I, mm-hmm. so what what are the predictions? Because I hear people say, you know, well these these few millimeters a year uh, that that doesn't uh, you know that's nothing to worry about. So should we we. Should we be worried? Um, it, it depends, of course, where you live. In 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 Bangladesh, you should be worried right now. Should we be we worried in? Should Americans be worried, for instance?
1: Uh, yeah, I think I think everybody should keep their eyes on this. I mean, the the problem is, of course, you know, where I grew up in the, on the south coast of the UK, the, you know, the tides come up and down three, two, three meters every day, up and down. That's quite a big change. And then when there's a storm the effects are even greater so part of the reason i wrote this book was to try and figure out why some places seem more vulnerable than others you know but i think what what's happened what's happened is that from the uh-huh. beginning of you know a century ago the seas were rising about 1 millimeter a year because of uh the planet's warming up but now that rise has risen to 4 uh-huh. millimeters a year now that that still not doesn't sound very much does it i mean i'm, I'm talking on an iphone yeah. at the moment it's about I think that's about eight millimeters thick. So we've got, you know, that's, that's yeah. two years of sea level yeah. rise. But that's an awful lot of water when you stick it around. You think that's happening around the whole planet, isn't yeah. it? And so the rate's accelerating, and it's gone from yeah. one one millimeter to four millimeters uh, as as the ice in Antarctica and Greenland start yeah. melting, and the projections get even worse, as, as you've noticed on noted on your the planet. Um, site you know they've they've really got jacked up this this um this last year the ipcc the intergovernmental panel on climate change in in august put out this what um, the united nations called code red report um where they have projections for for this century where you know seas could rise close to two meters in the very worst case um know, that's that's that's
0: that's a lot isn't it Um, yeah and that means Especially if you look for countries like whatever, Vietnam and Bangladesh and and, and, and Egypt, etc. You you talk about hundreds of millions of people, probably, maybe billions that that have to move. If you talk about two meters, I guess it's billions. We got 8 billion people in in the world, but there's a huge percentage of them lives rather close to the coastlines. I think.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's. It's, um, I, I don't know what the. I've, I've used tens or hundreds of millions in, in the worst case in, in the very long term, um, but but yeah, I mean, of course that that up to two meters is in the absolute very worst case where um, the ice sheets around Antarctica and Greenland really start uh, rushing towards the sea, which is an outside case. But you know, then the. In the you know the mainstream scenarios you give if, you, if emissions go up stay going up a lot we're going to get about a meter and maybe in the worst in the best case if we really cut emissions we can limit the rise to about you know half a meter less less than half a meter a foot or you know the 30 centimeters maybe um but either way it's pretty nasty isn't it and, and they say yeah. You know, they say that this is the biggest yeah. change in about 3,000 years as well, that we've had a, an incredible period of stability in sea levels. Sea levels throughout, you know, history, throughout deep times, and ice ages and, and so on, go up and down as the ice accumulates on the land and, and, and melts off again. But, but now we're the cause of this. That's, that's the bad, the wor- really worrying thing about this. It's our greenhouse gas emissions that are trapping heat and melting this ice and, um, you know, we've, if you think 3,000 years, it's, it's kind of the rise of a lot of the civilizations we have around the world now, isn't it? It's got, you know, you've got Athens and Rome and, and London and Amsterdam, all these wonderful cities by the coast, Shanghai, Beijing, um, you know, New York, all, all these wonderful places that have been built in the last uh, 2,000 years are, are on the front lines if, if, if we get these catastrophic levels of warming.
0: Yeah, and I, I remember from uh, so, so my I, my head is always filled with crazy data. And and what I remember is that if you have one liter or one meter of sea level rise, that that means that one third of Shanghai is underwater. And I think it's for for Jakarta, it's like half of Jakarta would be underwater with one meter of, of sea level rise. So these are yeah. cities where you know, tens of millions of people live, and then, and then the question comes up. Where do these people go, because okay they have to move inland. That's the only option you would say, but it's already crowded there, and there's all the land is already used and occupied, so you you have refugees in their own country, so that that must give tremendous tensions in inside countries you'd say right.
1: Yeah it's, it's certainly going to be a big source of tensions in the future isn't it I think I mean someone like Jakarta is also sinking it's sunk quite a lot already just because they're sucking water out of aquifers uh, stores of water underground uh, and the weight of the buildings there is pushing the sea, the land down so in some places the land itself is subsiding so that's aggravating what's happening in Jakarta so far they've managed to sort of build walls to keep out yeah. the seas but there's there's a limit to that and then you know you're going to have to you've seen movements of people in land and as you say it's just you know something like bangladesh vietnam it's just going to lead to crowding inland, and potentially people having to move wholesale abroad that's not something most people ever want to do um you know having visited that that village in yeah. fiji which you we started off with um you know they've got this this amazing new village it's much much nicer than the down by the sea sort of objectively in terms of the quality of the housing but the people didn't want to move Why? you know they 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 grew up by the sea they have fishing livelihoods um you know the governments the Fijian government spent half a million dollars on it but it's not it's not what they want to do they've had to leave behind you know the the graves of their ancestors there and this is all as you were saying this is because of greenhouse gas emissions elsewhere in the world so it's a really tough one
0: isn't it and at least in Fiji that's one of those volcanic islands that is that has higher ground but then you have countries like the Maldives or or the Marshall Islands or so where there's just there's just nowhere to go so these people cannot even flee inland in their own countries so we get international refugees and and it seems that they are not protected by any international law because they're not political refugees
1: that's right yeah you need to have under the refugee convention of what 1951 i think it is um, you need to have a well-founded fear of persecution to to apply to be a refugee and that's got to be because of political religious or or other grounds and the the problem with sea level rise if you apply to become a refugee you know it's been tested in the courts in in new zealand for example where uh, a guy from um, Kiribati tried to become the Pacific Island state of Kiribati tried to become a refugee in New Zealand, but he was turned down because they said, "Well, no, it's not an imminent threat to your to your life," um, and they sent him back home again. But sooner or later, I think a court is going to say, "Well, actually, this you know if sea level rise sea levels do rise by you know let's say a meter this century, then these places are going to be uninhabitable. There'll have to be refugees." Yeah. Um, the problem is, of course, that when, when you yeah. talk about persecution, this this would turn it all on its head because a refugee turning up in the Netherlands or, um, or the UK or somewhere, uh, the source of the persecution is actually us. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not it's not something happening in the place where they're living. Yeah. The greenhouse gases are coming from other countries, which are then the source of persecution. So it's going to have to, it would have to, you'd have to reinterpret the treaty completely. And, and there are yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's, yeah, you you're probably, I think the Norwegians were active on it um, in, in this, uh, they, they started this process in Geneva already years ago on, on seeing if you could either break open this convention or create a new one. Um, yeah. And I think at the end, they got nowhere, which probably has to do with the, the, Absurdly high number of people that we have to deal with. That if you if you give this um, if you if you agree on one person, you suddenly have to admit hundreds of millions, and no country in the world can admit that many refugees. But the principle seems to be Indeed, yeah. utterly unfair that by our behavior yeah. people lose their land and then they can go nowhere.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be really difficult, isn't it? And and you know, even before that happens, there are problems for these pacific island states for example because their fishing rights depend upon the existence of some of these islands these you know distant islands you're allowed a a 200 mile fishing zone around any island that you own and of course if one of your islands gets swamped then you know there's nothing really to stop a foreign fishing fleet from turning up and saying uh you've got the world's most valuable tuna stocks in the pacific here but you don't have any islands any long to claim yeah. them. So uh, we can go fishing yeah. here. So th- there's an awful lot of things things that need to be sorted out in international law about, you know, who who owns what uh, and all this issue of refugees and, you know, no. you know who knows, security conflicts um, that could be caused by this. I, you know, I remember going back to, I don't know, a U.N., one of these COPs, the conference of the parties, these annual climate meetings. I've been to fourteen of them, I think, and I can remember back in wow.
0: Nairobi yeah.
1: uh, many years ago. You know, they were talking then the small island states of having to take down flags at the United Nations um, if they if they, they disappear beneath the waves, and they've, nobody's really worked out what to, what what will. What what the legal consequences of any of this are, or, or this issue of migration at all? It's a real tangle.
0: Yeah, I think the same Kiribati that you just mentioned has their their whole land surface is not much more than than an average city in the West, whereas the sea that they cover is uh, by their by their fishing rights, etc., is as big as as India. Um, so you, you, you mm. can imagine <laughs> when they disappear, how much uh, access to fish, etc., um, uh, will will be will be fall about. Um, using the word yeah. fight is also. I worked a lot on um, the relationship between climate change and the impacts on security, and there you also see oh, that, yes. for instance, the the, the 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 big U.S. naval base on on the East Coast, um, where they are now. Spending an enormous amount of money raising the level of all the facilities so that the boats can can still moor there, and you can step off your your navy ship without getting your feet wet. But there you have the problem that uh, the lands, the, the when you when you want to go to the lands, you want to take your car to drive into the U.S. That once you get sea level rise, that's going to be like like another 20 or 30 miles of 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 flooded another another ocean to cross by so to say before you can reach the land so it it will have huge security con- consequences as well in in, in in that sense in in not being able to keep your your navies up to the standard that they that they used to be
1: yes exactly yes it's, and um all this thing about security within and sea level rise. You know, we've been talking about how it's um, uh, unfair on on the poor people of the world, but it's also within countries it's a problem for people's livelihoods and security. Because, you know, in in many places, if you decide whether to build a sea wall to protect a city or something, you you tend to look at the value of the properties there. And if you've got if you've got a row of millionaires' homes, which you know, in the United States, let's say, um, that's more likely to qualify for protection since it's more valuable than, than a, a, you know, a, a, an area where poorer people live. So, you know, the security that's considerations yeah. there, too, in, in many parts of the world, aren't there? Yeah,
0: yeah I, I remember staying with the U.S. I remember reading that the first people in the U.S. that were actually forced to move because of sea level rise where um uh where indigenous people in 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 the um uh in in the uh, delta of the in louisiana uh, mm-hmm. where where they had to leave uh, the islands where for for many many generations they had lived and also with the yeah. the inuit in, in in north alaska where this permafrost land is is now kind of kind of crumbling since the ice doesn 't hold it together anymore, and their houses are just falling off the cliff so again there within within countries it is so it 's not just the poor countries it 's also the poor, more vulnerable people within countries that are that are the ones that are presented the bill and and yeah the government's not always the first yeah. to be ready there to help them out.
1: Yeah, indeed. Yeah, I mean, also up in the up in the like you mentioned the up in the north there in Alaska, the Inuit people and, and others there are uh, other indigenous peoples there. Are the the ice on the sea is less um, permanent. Um, it melts earlier in in the spring and, and forms later in the autumn. So you know, the the there's, when the waves are crashing against the 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 coast in a way they never did before. Um, and that cause drives a lot of this erosion in addition to what, yeah. the, what you're mentioning about permafrost. So yeah, exactly. It's, it's a lot of vulnerable people who are, who are, who are, who are suffering the most here. Um, and often the poorest people and the marginalized. So it's, uh, yeah. yeah.
0: So, so did you, were you at, at uh, COP26 in Glasgow? Because it, my, my question there is, if so, or at least I'm sure that you followed follow that. Do you, do you think that gives any hope? Was, was the COP, um, successful or not and did it do anything to to hold sea level rise or at least uh help the people that are affected by sea level rise
1: yeah i was there for for 10 days or so with the the thompson reuters foundation Kindly let me come and work with them for a while, and you know I think it. The whole idea of the conference was to keep one point five alive. Um, that's the goal of limiting temperature rises to one point five degrees Celsius over pre-industrial times, um, which is in the Paris Agreement as the toughest goal. Um, so, you know, we're already up by one point two degrees. So I think it's almost inevitable that we're going to overshoot one point five degrees, but maybe we can get back down to it afterwards and the conference did do some things it did it did come up with pledges for better investments by um you know investors who hold trillions of dollars in assets should do more to um invest in in more climate friendly businesses um you know it's done stuff to to fight to reduce methane there was a bit of an agreement between between china and the united states and they all the countries promised to come back next year and to do a little bit to tighten their promises for cutting emissions because at the moment we're on track for you know more than two degrees of warming, even in the best case of these countries keeping their promises, which is um, unlikely on past form. <laughs> so yeah. you know, they reckon they've kept it alive. But as Alok Sharma, the president of the, the COP, the british minister who was presiding at it said you know we kept it alive but its pulse is weak so you know yeah. um yeah. Not, and i felt sorry for some of the small island states who were there um because uh, in the pacific islanders who are were, who were most at risk because the covid restrictions mean that they couldn't they couldn't really get there so there were very few pacific islanders yeah. there Um, Tuvalu had a, the Pacific Island state of Tuvalu had a rather memorable pavilion where they had these, um, uh, had a big plastic statue um, of polar bears wearing life jackets standing on a (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> i saw the picture <laughs> yeah
1: i mean it, uh, and they had this penguin with a, a which had committed suicide by hanging itself <laughs> hanging from the hanging from the ceiling and yeah it, it's uh, it's kind of you know everybody stopped to look at that pavilion but in a way the joke in yeah. a way though i think the joke was on us us because by stopping there you, it makes the point that Mm, maybe you're doing that. Do you care more about polar bears and penguins and people? It was a very arresting uh, image, certainly, um, which made everybody talk.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. That's also one of the things that fascinates me is that everybody always looks at these twenty-five thousand polar bears, which, of course, their their their, their plight is 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 is, is horrible. Um, but yeah, had twenty-five thousand polar bears, and we talk, we were just minutes ago talking about. Uh, tens or maybe hundreds of millions of people uh, th- it seems that in in yes. uh, for you as a journalist i think that's interesting that it, it seems that people still don't really get the seriousness of of what we are talking about how many lives and how many futures and how many dreams are are at stake um mm. In 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 a time where we have not only to deal with climate change, but also with um, uh, with the pandemic, which is kind of related to a third big uh, crisis that is not mentioned often enough, which is the the, the loss of nature, the loss of biodiversity. Um, on top of that, we have another pollution crisis, and it seems that all these crises are kind of mutually reinforcing themselves and it's we're we're kind of in a downward spiral which leaves the challenge to make that a kind of upward spiral to get out of this and to find to find solutions and i suppose that asks for technology and it also asks for good government is is what are your thoughts there on, on what can we do how can we get out of this
1: yeah, it's really, it is really difficult, isn't it? Because, I mean, when I read, when I look through my book, I think it's really gloomy at times. But um, there is, of course, hope. But, you know, when you look back at the, that UN report, um, it has a graph where it says, you know, the long term, as you're saying, people's dreams and livelihoods and hopes are, are on the line here. I mean, two meters of sea level rise in this coming century. You know, somebody born today is only going to be, will be in their late 70s in on the in the year 2100 you know even the politicians sort of view that as being way over the horizon don't they but you've we've really got to do something about this right now and it's i mean in paris for example though you know that um who would have dreamt in paris that a car maker an electric car maker tesla would be among the 10 top you know, um, cap the the ten most valuable companies in the world. It would would seem incredible, wouldn't it? So there is there is hope that you know we can come yeah. up with incredible technologies uh, to do something about this. Um,
0: also, yeah. although it would give more hope if the CEO of that company was not <laughs> okay. just wasting his money and sending <laughs> rockets out into space. Yeah where we have nothing nothing to do we can't go there there is no planet b of course um so he uh, i wish he would make better use of that money with all the brains and and all the creativity that he has i think he's utterly failing us and the world uh, because because we need his his genius and his money uh to 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 get us out of this problem and we pay all that money for electric vehicles and he should do something good with it he should pay tax by the way right. too
1: Exactly, exactly. Um, and, uh, of course, you know, space tourism seems like a total dead end, doesn't it, I think, for, for, for the rest of us? Um, uh, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, but it should be forbidden, I think. Yeah, I think, I think that's a good idea. Se-
0: Seriously. I mean, suppose yeah. I, would, I would buy a beautiful Van Gogh painting and then say I'm going, I'm going to burn it. You know, people would say, no, there should be a law against it. But I think there should also be a law against ruining the planet.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, uh, put a put a, a decent carbon tax on the f- jet fuel they're using, you know, several thousand dollars a, a yeah. ton of CO2 yeah. emitted or something in space to
0: get yeah. to space. Um, yeah. yeah, I agree. O- yeah, On any jet f- fuel for that matter. Because Maybe. recently I was, it's interesting, I had to go to Geneva for a meeting and I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll go, but I'll go by train. And then the first reaction I got back is, yeah, but your train ticket is more expensive than a flight ticket. I said, yeah, but... You want me to talk about climate change? Now you're pushing me into a plane to save you a handful of of, of euros or Swiss francs, I man. It doesn't make sense. At the end, I got my plane ticket, uh, my train yeah. ticket. I mean, and um, uh, but uh, but that's also because you, you don't pay tax on kerosene, but you do pay tax when you when you when you buy a train ticket. So there's there's a lot that we have to change on the government side, I would say, in, in, in getting out of all this.
1: Yeah I agree I, I agree with that when when I was in glasgow I took the train from glasgow to the southwest of the of england uh, which was like a, an 8 hour trip um including you know a, a crowded train where there was no room to sit down luckily I got a seat early on but there were these guys turned up for a stag party and were singing and dancing in the in the aisles and and it was more expensive than if i'd taken a plane of course you know you can't go on a plane from a climate conference um unless you absolutely have to fly abroad to somewhere somewhere else but uh you know as you say it it was more expensive to take the train so uh, it's it's a bit of a skewed use of resources we don't really need you don't need so much technology. It's just to put the right price on things, don't we? I think if you, yeah. you tax yeah, the it. right things, we'd be in a lot better yeah. shape.
0: Yeah, I think the uh, International Renewable Energy Agency had recently calculated that worldwide... We give twenty times as much subsidies on fossil fuels as we give subsidies on renewable energy, so we're we 're subsidizing the thing that kills us so, so we, we we might as well start subsidizing smoking cigarettes etc it's, it's uh, it doesn 't make sense. Hey, I see that we have a few listeners to uh, uh, a word to all listeners, thank you so much for being here. Um, I had a bit of startup problems, which all has to do with my uh, clumsiness uh, with uh, an app that I think is a wonderful app. Um, but uh, I was I was pressing all the wrong buttons, and then what happened is that I had to make um, a new uh, room. We are in a room that is that is podcast speak or or call in speak. Uh, so the one that I had advertised on Twitter before was the wrong room. So there's there's eight people that were clever enough to find out that there was a new link to a new room which makes it very cozy it's just the 10 of us here um thanks so much for being here if you have um, uh, questions you can call in that's what the app is called about uh what it's what it's called Um there's there's a little telephone button at the bottom so if if you have questions for alistair or comments uh, just uh, feel feel free to, to press the button. And I think if I understand how it all works, it should pop up on my screen that somebody has a question. It's a bit like raising your hand, but you just press the, the telephone button and then I can let you in. It seems that I also have the power to mute you if you say things that I don't like. So I'm in a very powerful position here. But um, so so uh, feel, feel free uh, to do so. So while I'm waiting for people that have questions, um I was wondering when you write a book like this i'm i'm often uh, uh, tormented by all kinds of trolls on social media that make my life difficult uh so i i'm I'm an active blocker of all kinds of people yesterday I had to block another crazy guy again um so how um how is that for you when you publish a book like this Is it would was it applauded by everyone or or did you also get reactions from a completely different uh, field of followers?
1: Yeah, I'd love to say that everybody applauds the book and thinks it's the best thing ever written. But, um, you know, there are certainly people out there. I think it
0: is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's very kind of you. Um, but but there, are, there are certainly, sadly, people out there who disagree. And, who, um I, I mean, it's interesting. I've covered climate change for almost 20 years, and I get trolled by people. There was one guy who set up a, a, a website. Specifically, um, for trashing the stories I wrote, who sometimes had good points, but most of the time he was just totally off the mark. I think, Um, but but on this one, you know, (laughs) one person I noticed figured out that I grew up in Exeter. I was born in Exeter in the southwest of the UK, and that I now live in Oslo in in Norway, where the sea here isn't rising relative to the land. The land here is rising, so he he sort sort of trashed it by saying. You know the sea isn't rising everywhere. This is just eco porn that I'm putting out. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I don't. I don't think he'd actually read the book because I do do a whole chapter about um, the fact that the Nordic region is rising out of the sea, and has been doing for yeah. you know for hundreds of years because the after the end of the ice age lifted the huge weight of the land, the the land is rising. So, yeah, I think that's the that's the strategy of climate skeptics at the moment is to say. You know, sea is rising in some places, seas are falling in other places, um, therefore it can't be true. And then, you know, if the land is rising, there'll be more water tipped into the seas somewhere else. And, you know, seas have been going up and down forever. Uh, This is nothing new. So, you know, to these people, I just say, well, go buy yourself a plot of land by the sea, what is now an expensive plot of land by the sea. Um, (laughs) in an attractive area and and see how much it's worth in 50 years time
0: yeah yeah that's interesting yeah that things have always been changing that's one that always comes back in the climate deniers the climate has always been changing etc which is true but it has never changed at the tremendous speed it is uh, changing now and it's interesting yeah. that that the sea is not rising everywhere at the same time you would expect you know if, if you go and sit in the bathtub everywhere in the bathtub the water goes up at exactly yeah. which is exactly the same amount but whereas you don't see it much changing in in uh, Scandinavia for the reasons that you just mentioned uh, I think the east coast of the US is one of those regions in the world where it's rising faster than uh, than at other places yeah. and I never really understand how that works that is for, for the real technical specialist I think but that's, that's something that's yeah. difficult to explain huh?
1: yeah I think it's to do in some places with changes in ocean currents and you know just with changes in winds as well I mean over, in, over here in Scandinavia of course it's the, the fact that the ice has gone off the land and the, the whole land is rebounding very slowly um, like a big sort of foam mattress takes a while to reshape when you get up. Um, So, but but there are, you know, there there have been, the winds have changed in parts of the Pacific too. So sea levels seem to be rising faster in some places over there. Uh, But, but of course that, that can't go on forever at some point, you know, the winds just, if they blow constantly. That effect won't happen forever. Um, But I, I think,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah, and it's, uh, in, in I, I also remember that from the uh, the Panama Canal, that on the water on the one end is at a completely le- different level than the water on the other end. It seems like 30 meters difference. So it's, it's a huge difference. And um, yeah. and on the on the rising of the land in Scandinavia, we pay the price for that in the Netherlands because it's it's a bit like a seesaw, you know. They are going up, but we are going <laughs> down, <laughs> and we're already so low. So yeah, yeah. the Netherlands is getting lower and lower. So it's um, uh, so we we have a bit of a double whammy here, and uh, yes. yeah. diplomatically an interesting question. They're gaining a bit of our land in a way. I don't I don't think you can charge those geological things from one country to another. But it's an interesting case. Um, Yeah. It is. So, um, if, if, if you look at, if you now look at this, this, this whole picture in the world, what is, what is the thing we need most to, 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 to get out of these, these problems? Where would you start? Suppose tomorrow you would be elected uh, prime minister of the planet and you could—you—you—you you, you didn't have to deal with 200 countries that, that by definition disagree on practically everything. Where would you start? Wow.
1: Um, I think you'd have to cut out fossil fuel subsidies, give the money to promote renewables, yeah, a put a tax on carbon emissions. Basically, that would do it, I think. Of course, that uh, you'd have to find a way of shielding the poor from yeah. from uh, these taxes but um, you know you read you sometimes read stories in American media of um, of how terrible it is with high gas prices but I look at the prices and they're like a, a half or a third of the prices that I pay for, to fill up my car here in Europe um, and, and we got used to it without having a revolution um, and yeah. you know we, we're yeah. sort of on board with the idea of, I think you get if if you could in, if you could raise you know taxes on these things to fund a shift to cleaner energies, that would that's what i do. Is on my first day, I would probably be the victim of a coup on the second day, but on day one, <laughs> on day that's, one. But, uh, that's
0: what I try to do. But it it does make sense. You have to pay for yeah. pollution, and um, uh you know when my trash is collected uh, that I produce in my house, I pay tax for that because I I. I create whatever, all kinds of packaging, et cetera, from stuff I buy in the supermarket. And then I pay tax because somebody collects that and then and then is 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 taking care of the trash. But as soon as you blow yeah. something up in the atmosphere, it's like, well, you can't see it. So we, we don't care about it.
1: Yeah. And there are, of course, you know, we worry about the pandemic, how many people are dying in the pandemic. But every year, I think the number is about 10 million people die worldwide from air pollution that is often linked to yeah. burning fossil fuels. So, you know, yeah. you, you, you would, it would be a, a net positive effect for the planet as long as I can get myself reelected. Um, that, yeah, that was, yeah.
0: That, Well, I'm not sure if we still have elections. If you have lot, one prime minister in no. the world, it sounds like a world where, yeah, not through democracy. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> so that, yeah, it's a bit futuristic. Yeah. So yeah, so so it's it's yeah. Uh, pay for pollution, so price right, uh, subsidize the things mm-hmm. that we actually need and not the things that are that are destroying the planet. And you mentioned something about. Yeah, yeah, the inequality. So make sure that you are not raising the burden on 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 those that have been most affected. They probably deserve a lot of aid uh, from our sides as well. And would you would you believe in technology? Would would you say what is more important, better governance or better technology?
1: I guess it's got to be both, hasn't it? But um, I've covered this beat for long enough that I can remember. You know, George uh, W. Bush. As President giving his State of the Union address in I think it was in two thousand and three where he wasn 't really convinced by um, man made climate change and he said let 's go for technology we 're going to invest a whole lot of money in hydrogen and in that speech yeah. he, he said let 's let 's hope that somebody born a child born today when they buy their first car, it will be a hydrogen powered car and and of course, you know that you can yeah. I think it 's much better to to use the tools that have got available to you now rather than speculate about a long distant future like that because in the America in America these days, I think one statistic I saw was like two thousand cars were hydrogen powered of of those sold a year or two ago, so it's you know that hasn 't worked out. I think technologies are wonderful, but let 's um too often they fail. I think. I think you have to, you have to start by taking the unpopular um, things, which mean putting a fair price on pollution, as you were saying. Try to do that because we've got so many. We've got so many. Yeah. There are so many of these um, plans for net zero emissions by twenty fifty around the world. But but those are wonderful, of course, they are just great because the Paris Agreement itself talks about you know sorting this, getting to net zero in the second half of the century. Yeah. So by putting it at twenty fifty. That's great. But to get there, we haven't got the plans in place for this decade, for, 20, for up to 2030, that will really get us on track, do we? So um, I think, you know, developing technologies is a wonderful, but, but let's put masses of R&D into it. But but let's start with the changes of the governance and put, put a better price on pollution.
0: Yeah. 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 That sounds like like a really, really good starting point. Um, and, uh for individual listeners to this podcast we have we have a few now in the live session and i uh, by next week or so i'll upload this on the app and then i hope more people will listen what what can you do at an individual level to 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 deal with climate change or let's let's put it differently what have you changed in your life you you already said you took the train to to glasgow um, which which yeah. I think is good it's the reason I wasn't there by the way I was on the other side of the ocean and I said I, I'm not going to fly right. to this climate conference so I I, I called in for, for a talk that I had to give but I, I didn't go there Um. but, but what else can uh, how can people change their lives to, to do something about climate change so
1: yeah I mean we can all I've tried to cut down on I, I'm not a vegetarian but I certainly changed my diet to go more that way um we have a heat pump installed in our house Um, of course i live in norway where the houses are nicely insulated um i put any the small savings i have i put them in a fossil fuel free fund um of course writing this book involves an awful lot of fossil fuels just to travel around the world um i paid for offsets for those flights i know that's kind of a bit uh greenwashing perhaps but um, i hope that the book justifies it um i don't know so i've done you know i've done a few things nowhere near enough i've of course luckily with covid i haven't managed to fly anywhere pretty much except going to to glasgow and in recent times and to the uk um
0: yeah but but there are some
1: like those things are not bad places to start i think
0: yeah, no, those are those are excellent uh, examples. I wish we probably have a much better world already if everybody would uh, would do so. Um, if uh, we, uh, I'm, I'm lining up now, people. For you're you're the very first one actually in in, in this podcast series. So so, um, which Thank is you. a yeah. title nobody can ever take away from you. Um, but I'm I'm going to uh, to to line up all kinds of speakers. I've already I'm I'm working on a list of all kinds of people I I want to have on board. Um, I'm I'm happy to announce here that Michael E. Mann already uh, announced that uh, that he is uh, happy to join, but that will be somewhere in early next year. Um, and have a few more. But who would you like to see in this podcast? And and uh, a second question uh added to that um what kind of scenes would you like to see covered here it doesn't that only have to be climate change it can be it can be much wider than that but what kind of if if you're uh making a long uh, drive in your car and you say okay i'm gonna listen to this guy again with his podcast what kind of subject would you like to see covered in this podcast series
1: wow Uh, i'd like to hear um uh, I'd like to hear more about biodiversity and things. I mean, we have this big uh, biodiversity summit coming up in this year in China, um, where, you know, one of the goals is yeah. to preserve 30 percent, 30 by 30, percent 30, of the land and of the oceans by 2030. To ha- how are you going to do that? How are we going to achieve that? I'd like to yeah. hear a lot about that. Um, I'd like to hear more about technologies for fighting climate change, for keeping, keeping the place um, clean. Um, climate change, of course. I think sea level rise is a wonderful thing. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> we'll, we'll just ask <laughs> you back here. <laughs> uh, and many of the issues you cover are on your on your your site, you know, the the um, on the planet are, 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 you know, wild weather, all sorts of, um, just the way temperatures are rising, animal species on on the brink. Um, you know wildlife photography is is wonderful too i think um of people to talk to i don't know i mean some of the people who, who've helped me with uh, write this book um i don't know maybe a glaciologist um andrew shepherd at leeds university he's he's done he does interesting studies about i spoke to him for a long time talking about you know how you how you try and visualize the amount of ice that's melting and. He had, on one of his slides, he has this 10 10 by 10 by 10 kilometer cube of ice, um, which is done by the European Space Agency, which is a trillion tons of ice, which is roughly what is melting every year. And, you know, he's got this map that's showing it beside New York, absolutely dwarfing Manhattan. Um, Also, we discussed also earlier Scherd Gürskamp, who's, I'm sure I'm massacring his name, um, a, a... (laughs) 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 <laughs> 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 that's
0: only for Dutch to pronounce. It's like the village I mentioned earlier. Who's a, who's a
1: Dutch oceanographer who had this plan to stop sea level rise if it gets really bad by building walls between France and England and then between Scotland and Norway. That would actually isolate the North Sea and the Baltic Sea from the Atlantic. And then yeah. you know you could you could it would cost hundreds of billions of euros and it would take masses yeah. amounts of concrete and it would be almost impossible. It would ruin the biodiversity and the seas behind it. Um, but it's a you know if if we do face several meters of sea level rise, you know your house is going to be in trouble there. I'm afraid, Alex. And you're going to you're going to yeah. need, yes. you're going to need some, something like that.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, his plan is 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 amazing. Well, I, I think what I remember from reading about it that he he kind of jokingly made this thing like, of course, we're never going to build it. And then then right. then once people started discussing it, and the people realized how horrible um, the future is going to be for all these countries around the North Sea, suddenly this kind of absurd plan became less absurd and, and, and people started calculating a bit more on it. He would be a great guy to invite here. And um I, I remember reading uh reading his uh, about his work. Um and also Andrew Shepard, yeah I, I remember reading yeah. about those uh, it's in your book, this 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 enormous cubicle of of, of ice um that's uh, right yeah I, I, if I remember correctly, it was like like three or four of them melting every year, or so these these are absurd numbers, and uh crazy numbers, yeah, yeah, so that is uh that's not a good one andrew shepherd yeah. so i'll I'll keep that in mind I see we're already past uh six o'clock now um, yeah. we we didn't start on time at all, um which I will promise I will do my best in the future i'll just i'll just I'll read the manual. Uh, by the way, for everybody listening, if you want to know more about um, how this app really works, um, Call In has uh, a good um, uh, a good YouTube channel with a few very short two minute videos um, where where they explain how how the app works um, for people of my generation that, that normally helps to work out how these things work. Um, Yeah, Alastair. Thanks so much uh, for for joining. Um, I think we should have you back here someday, or maybe we should co-host a session someday. Uh, I'm I'm very grateful for uh, for your time um
1: alex it's been wonderful thank you so much for your time it's um it's an honor to be here on your very first one as you say nobody can take away that that title from it. <laughs> when this is the most listened to podcast in the world that's that'll be great someday if thank this you. is a
0: famous podcast you could say i was the first one in there together with uh, this 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 group of about 10 people that uh, that, that joined today um and that's the other people i want to thank you thank you so much for the trust in this brand new podcast, uh, you listeners that are here and uh, staying with us uh, this uh, full hour um, of listening to uh, to all these stories. Um, so thank you all very much. Uh, spread the word uh, that there's this new podcast because we're going to do a lot of um, uh, more uh, sessions in 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 the future. Uh, I also created another show uh, for which I'm still. Uh, looking for a new title it's probably going to be uh, the bigger picture news uh, by not having enough time i called it hot because i saw our planet's getting hot and we talk about hot news Um, but that's the seo of that one seems to be pretty difficult for google to uh, to find out uh, that hot is actually a thing on itself so the bigger picture news is probably the new title the other one where i want to be closer on the news um, uh, a sh- uh, 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 talking about the most recent news that is uh, that is taking place probably a much wider concept uh, than the more environmentally minded issues uh, that I have here not always with guest speakers but you might find just a rant of me going off on anything I read in the news uh, it might be very different in time it could be just a short one of 5 or 10 minutes um instead of the full hour that we did now. Um, I still have to work out on the other one. I'm still working on this one actually, but at least now we got the thing working. Um, and I'll stop there. Thanks so much, Alistair. Thanks, thank you so much for uh, for listening in here. And um uh, hope to uh, to see you soon in the in the next broadcast. Wonderful thanks Alex bye Alistair
1: Bye-bye. bye now. bye bye bye